0: Good morning again, Redeemer. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you are visiting with us, we are making our way through this epistle. And so uh, that, this is the passage in front of us this morning. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word and thank you for being a speaking God. Thank you, Lord, for carrying the authors of Scripture along by your Spirit to write, To write what is needed for lives of godliness and faith. Lord, your word is pure. Your word is precious. Your word is true. And your word is profitable to make us more holy. To show us our errors. To remind us of your lavish grace. To train us in righteousness to bring about conviction. To build us up into the one who is Christ. Your desire, Lord, in redemption and in salvation and even through your word. Is to take people who are not your people. And to make us your people. And then, Lord, to make us after the image of Jesus. Who is holy and beautiful and loving and resolute. And so, Father, I pray that. Speak through your servant. Bring glory and honor to your name. Amen. So uh, I've entitled our time this morning uh, in, God, in the Word. Uh, well, I want to look at this theme of God obliterating um, our deception. Human deception obliterated by God's deliverance. And I think that deception is the theme of the passage even though it has its tentacles in other areas so when i was a sophomore in college i um got a chance to co-op with entergy here in town and so i went to school in huntsville alabama was an engineering major and you really couldn't graduate unless you had co-op work experience in the real world in your major and the way God kind of lined that up beautifully was I was able to co-op here in town at Entergy, and I could live at home with my parents. And so for my entire sophomore year, I worked. I worked 40 plus hours, went home, did that, and then went to school in the summer. Well, the, the, the advantage of, of doing that was uh, I could still be around some of my childhood friends. And one of my best friends, uh, this, he said, hey, man, I know how we're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, talk to me. He said, we're gonna sell long distance, uh, long, we're, gonna sell, we're, gonna sell, we're gonna work for a company called Excel Communications and we're gonna sell people long distance home service. And at the time, uh, you may not remember this, but deregulation impacted the telecom industry and Excel Communications was this new startup. And uh, you could pay $300 and become a licensed seller of long-distance services and so me and my friend and we paid this guy $300 and we're gonna get rich and and the way that you make your money is by getting your family and friends and your social network to not use their previous long-distance carrier but to use Excel Communications. And so Excel Communications bought long distance service in bulk and then sold it to the consumer. And you were kind of the middleman. And so you made money every person you got signed up. And then you could make real money. If you got people under you to be reps under you, you made money off of them signing up, plus the people that you signed up. Plus the people they signed up. So you you got you got the frame. And so we met every Tuesday and Thursday at the hotel next door to Cowboy Maloney on uh, 55. Every Tuesday and Thursday night, this guy would drive down from Memphis in his Bentley. And he would have his entourage in, Merce- in Mercedes, and he would do these big rallies where you just bring the people you want to bring in the business and let them hear my spiel, and we'll get them signed up. And, 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 and why wouldn't your mother and father and auntie use long-distance service from you? Why would they, why would they keep their old carriers? And this guy, he showed us checks. He would just show them and and, and let them go around the room. And so me and my buddies, like we were excited, like we about to get paid. (laughs) And the only person I signed up was my grandmother. (laughs) No one paid me the $300 to come under my network to sell long distance insurance. And that guy was arrested For fraud. And then everybody started getting cell phones. And nobody needed long distance at home through a landline anymore. You know why that hurt? It hurt because we were deceived, we were gullible. And we were deceived. And had I listened to my parents and all these other adults who had like real jobs and had been working for like 20 years, who were telling me if it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. And we didn't listen. I had friends who stopped going to college to do that. Had a friend who quit her job to do that we were deceived badly this passage is about deception and what paul is doing is coming to the corinthians and he's saying hey you're being deceived somebody is getting over on you and it's not right and it's going to cost you more than just money And time that you spend going to these meetings, you're going to forfeit your future inheritance if you remain deceived. And this passage is a gracious warning. It's equivalent to parents coming alongside a child like me who was trying to get into this scheme and get paid and saying, baby. Just keep doing what you're doing. You see, what Paul is attacking is profession that is not aligning with behavior. They were saying we love Jesus. They were saying we are Christians. They were saying we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They were saying we are God. But when you look at their lives, Their lives looked nothing like Jesus's life. Jesus was not an adulterer or a thief or a swindler or a reviler or a homosexual man, right? He was not that. And yet, when you look at this list of sins, That's what they were doing. And Paul actually says, either your profession is wrong or you're being deceived. And guys and gals, this is a gracious warning. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Spiritual deception can happen to the best of us. And the God who rescued you remains on mission to obliterate all that the enemy throws your way. He will cut through the deception. And he will deliver you. So let's, let's think about it. The first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes, is the possibility of being deceived even as Christians. That's the first point. The possibility of being deceived even as believers. You know, if you were to make a list of humans and and, and what's good about us, right? What's good? We love and we can be merciful and we can be gracious and we can build and we can exercise dominion. We can create and cultivate And put people on the moon and solve problems, right? And that is because we have been made in the image and likeness of God. But we also have a dark side. Humans have many, many, many weaknesses. And the one that this passage exposes is our propensity to be deceived. I know I'm not the only person that's been deceived, right? <laughs> and this ain't the only time I've been deceived, right? Back when the Metro Center Mall was open, me and my friends would shop at Metro, and like I always wanted like this this gold chain, like this thick old herringbone gold chain, and so me and my friends are walking into the mall, and this guy comes out and he has a chain on and he has this. He has his hand with with five or six gold chains in his hand. He's like, what up, my G? He said, you wanna buy this gold chain, it's real. I'm like, "Nah, bro, it ain't real. You ain't finna get me like that. He said, let me show you. And so he pulls out like some Windex and he sprays some Windex on a paper towel. And then he sits there and, and wipes his chain. And I'm waiting for like the gold plate to kind of come off and it doesn't come off. And so I'm like, man, I didn't hit a lick. I'm for to get this gold chain and wear this chain. So I gave the dude the cash and I bought the gold chain. I, I have my little gold chain, wearing it around town towel to that school. And about two weeks after wearing that chain, my neck started turning green. <laughs> and the chain started to peel. And then it hit me. He got me. He had a real chain around his neck. He had a fake chain that he was selling that looked like his real chain. And so I'm thinking he's spraying the the Windex on on a fake chain, but he has the real chain, but everything he has is a replica. I got deceived. And you've been deceived. Someone pursued you and you thought they had pure motives. And they didn't. You thought this job was going to be great. And it wasn't. You've hired people to do work for you, and their work was shoddy. Why does that happen? It's because we're deceivable. And if this happens in life, in love, in gold chains, in business ventures, Do you not believe that it cannot happen spiritually where we actually think we're holy? We think we're good. We think we're right. We think we're doing the right. But in fact, we are actually living lives that are contrary to the gospel. Now, here's the thing. Deceit was a thing fear of the Apostle Paul, and the reason I'm focusing in on it is because Paul does. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, let no one deceive himself, and so make that checklist, I can be deceived by me. And my own flesh, my own flesh that lives inside of me can deceive me. That's number one. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 7, Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, one will reap. The one who sows to his flesh, you will reap corruption. And the one who sows to the spirit, you will reap eternal life. So what is Paul saying there? There was some thinking that you can just do whatever you want and then God going to bless that mess. But Paul is actually saying, fool, God can't be mocked. What you sow, you will reap. Do not be deceived. Ephesians five, you can be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with these empty words. So all of a sudden, I can't just deceive me that I can. Now your words and what you say to me about this sin that I'm harboring and petting, now I can be lured away because I'm getting unwise counsel from fools. That's why Paul says, don't let them deceive you. But it gets even worse. 2 Thessalonians 2, people were deceived about the coming of Christ. Do not be quickly shaken or alarmed, believing that the day of the Lord has already come. Do not let them deceive you, for that day will not come unless rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So we can even be deceived about the end times. And about the second return of Jesus and some were actually upsetting the faith of some saying, hey, you missed out. And Paul is like, are you really listening to them? Jesus says it in Matthew 13. The word of God is choked out of your hearts because of the deceitfulness of riches. He's saying some of y'all got so much money. And so little need and your money and your wealth is deceiving you. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You catch that? So not only is it my flesh, it's the world, it's unwise friends, it's also riches, and I can even be deceived by my own sin. Do you see why this is a concern for Paul? And that word there, do not be deceived, it's written in the passive style, let's use that word, which means that the deceit is happening to them by someone else. Now, that's important because if you turn over to Revelation 12, Verse 9, I want to read it for you. Listen to what John says in Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world, was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. How does Genesis 3 begin? When Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, what does Eve say to God? It was the serpent. He deceived me. And so the book end of the Bible, Genesis 3, Revelation 19, there is a great deceiver out there in the world. And it is Satan and he has been thrown to the earth to do the deceiving And he has his angels with him, which makes perfect sense. Because last week, when we were in this two weeks ago, you remember what Paul says to them? He says, do you not know you will judge the angels? In other words, those angels and those demons and Satan that are tormenting you and deceiving you right now. If you just stay the course, there is a day coming when there is a reversal. But right now you are being deceived. By the flesh, by the world, by the devil, by that unholy Trinity. That's at the root of this passage. It frames everything that Paul is saying, which moves us to our second point the documentation that they were being deceived. All right? The documentation that they were being deceived is this. It's lifestyles that are incongruent with the kingdom of God. So right now, uh, just kind of. So if I were to say, hey, I play basketball and I scored 50 points last night. Or I hit three home runs. You might say, show me the receipts. And what are you saying when you say, show me the receipts? You're saying, show me proof. Now, my proof might be a video. It might be a video, my highlight reel, showing me, scoring my 40 points. But, the, but, but that's, that's the receipt. That, that's the proof. Here's what Paul is doing in this passage. He's actually saying, you guys are being deceived. And he says, look, here's the proof. Paul has receipts proving to them and to us that they were actually being deceived. Well, what is the proof? What is the documentation that they were being deceived? It's the way that they were living. That's the proof, says Paul. Now, a few things before we dig into this list of sins or lifestyles that you see in verse 9 and 10 that really are incongruent with the kingdom. First, Paul is talking to the church, y'all. First Corinthians is not a letter that got nailed on the doorpost in the city of Corinth for non-believers. This letter was written to the church. Let that shape this. Secondly, The list of sins and lifestyles that are incongruent with the kingdom were true for some in the church. Let that wash over you. In a church this size, this list of lifestyles and behaviors, please don't make the mistake and think, that this is just a list describing what the world does. He's actually writing to the bride of Christ. Third, this list is not arbitrary. I made a case to you a few weeks ago that Paul's Christian ethic is shaped by the Ten Commandments and the application of those commandments in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. In other words, the same offenses that demanded Israel to purge the evil from their midst are the same offenses that Paul says ought to be disciplined in the church. In other words, this list of sins mirrors the very same ethical code, God's moral law, that Israel would have gotten. In other words, adultery was not okay in the Old Testament. and It is not okay in the New Testament. Homosexuality was not okay in the Old Testament. And I don't care what culture around us says, It's not okay in the New Testament. It was never okay to steal and take what is not yours in the Old Testament. And it is not okay to steal now. What Paul is actually saying is time may change. The makeup of the audience may change. But there are some things that are universally the same that transcend time and people and language. That's the way you have to look at this list. Third, this list does not only condemn sins that you think are big, it condemns the ones that you might be tempted to look over. Homosexuality is condemned as is greed. Adultery is condemned as is drunkenness. Idolatry is condemned. As is swindling. You catch that? Fourth, this is actually the second time in the book where Paul gives a running list of conduct that is not congruent with the kingdom. Look right above our section, up to five, verse chapter five, verse 11. Paul says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such a one. And you'll look at our list this morning. He says it's a very similar thing. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the men who practice homosexuality, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the revilers, the swindlers, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, these lists are very much the same. So this is some type of ethical code that Paul wants to bring to bear to shape their conduct. Now here's what I won't do this morning. I won't go over the list, the words from the list that we looked at two weeks ago. The question we should ask of this list is what's new that wasn't on the former? What's different this week than chapter five? Here's what's new this week on this list in first Corinthians six. Paul adds adulterers, which is not on the list in chapter 5. He adds men who practice homosexuality that's not on the list in chapter 5. And he also adds thieves. So, those three are the ones that I want to hone in on this morning. The first thing Paul says is, Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. At its purest sense, Paul has a pure and undefiled marriage bed between one man and one woman as the only sacred place for sexual intercourse and intimacy that glorifies the Lord. And so stepping outside of your marriage, having a side piece, is kind of the language that we use today. Laying with someone not your spouse, male or female, it is all sinful in the sight of the Lord. And this would have been earth shattering in Paul's day. Here's a book I would commend to you. It's called From Shame to Sin, The Christian Transformation of Sexual Morality in Late Antiquity. And it really is a look at the sexual ethics uh, in cities like Corinth in Paul's day. In Corinth, it was the norm, the norm for men to be able to go in worship, to go sleep with temple prostitutes. That was the norm. It was the norm for older men to groom younger boys and to practice pedophilia. That was the norm that Paul has already written about a woman who was having an affair with her husband's son. He's going to write about prostitutes and about your body being belonging to God. He's going to condemn that. He's going to condemn incest. And so here's what we have to see when we read this. If we have a lifestyle of unfaithfulness, of stepping out, of watching pornography and indulging in it, of making out sexually with someone who is not our wife, and I don't care if you're engaged. It is all wrong in the sight of the Lord. It's the first thing Paul talks about. Then he moves to men who practice homosexuality. And this doesn't just apply to the men. Because in Romans 1 Paul says that it also applies to women who exchange their natural relations for men with those that are contrary with nature. Now, my Bible has a number three above men who practice homosexuality. And if I look at the bottom, it tells me uh, uh, Paul could mean the passive and active partners in a homosexual relationship. And so if you read this book, it's it's not gonna, it's gonna talk about two different participants in a homosexual relationship. You have one man who is the masculine one. And then you have one man who is behaving as woman. I'm trying to use this language because I got kids in there, but I think y'all kind of get where I'm going. Well, in their, in their culture, it was more shameful to be penetrated, right? And so they have these degrees of shame, these degrees of wrongness. And what Paul's ethic is bigger than that. He's actually saying your culture might give you a pass to be one or the other. But in the kingdom of God, whichever one you are the masculine one or the feminine one, it is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. And I know that's hard in a culture that preaches tolerance. But our culture doesn't get the last say on what is right. Our culture can be deceived. He talks about thieves, those who are greedy, those who swindle. These triad of words that have to do with an unhealthy love for wealth and stuff. And this could be the person who constantly takes from their neighbors. It could be the greedy person who violates principles of proportion. And so think about this. Think about everything you earn, right? Think about it in a pie. And the Bible says a portion of the pie must go to the Lord not just your time your money and a portion of your income goes to what you need food and shelter and clothing and a portion of your income goes to enjoy life And a portion of your income goes to honor your debts. And a portion of your income goes into savings. And a portion of your income, blessed is a man who leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And so thinking long term, right? The Bible is a Bible of portions. And you know what the greedy person does? I'm not giving that portion to the Lord. I want to keep up with my standard of living. Ooh, you get that? Paul is actually saying, if God has no lordship over your money and your earnings. Do you actually think that pleases him? Those are the three that I think are pressing here. And here's the thing. One scholar summed it up perfectly. All the sins in verses 9 through 10 share the common traits of being self-indulgent and self-serving. And from a spiritual perspective, they also become self-destructive. Hence, the Christians should make sure that they remain a part of our distant past. Now, going through this list, I want you to stand up. If you can look at this list and say, I got all these licked. If I had a chair right here, I would sit down. (laughs) You look at this list, in this room there are adulterers. Some have literally committed adultery and others have done it with eyes and wondering hearts. In this room, there are sexually immoral people. In this room, people have indulged in pornography and made out with their girlfriend or boyfriend. In this room, People have been greedy and not given unto the Lord what is the Lord. In this room, people struggle with same sex attraction. And it is a battle. And like you and your greed or other things that we're all guilty of, in this room, people have fallen. And in this room, we have used our mouths to revile. In this room, we have swindled. Who is guilty? Every one of us. Does Paul mean that if you are tempted in an instance and you give into temptation in an instance. Is that what he is saying? Manifest capital deceit? I don't think so. We're going to be wrestling with this stuff until we're made new, y'all. And the person who fights... Who acknowledges that that was wrong, and who repents, and who endeavors a new obedience in heart and in actions of life? For you, lift your head up. What Paul is getting at is lifestyles where people who profess the name of Jesus but whose lives begin to diverge into darkness. They begin to wear the label of thief and wear the label of gay and wear the label and think about tipping out on their spouse. And wear these labels and these names as identity, And if that is you where you profess faith in Jesus, but you let these other sinful identities loom larger than who you are in Jesus, Paul says, Be careful, you're being deceived. And I know how it happens. It happens because everybody in the world is doing it. Therefore, it must be okay. Look at what the culture says. Therefore, it must be okay. Look at my flesh and look at what it feels momentarily when I give in to these sins. Then it must be okay. Then surely God is a God of love and mercy. He will separate me from my sin as far as the east is from the west. And if that's the, your line of thinking to justify sinful living you are being duped by the enemy our god is holy and he calls us to be holy our god promises to give a way of escape for those being tempted that no temptation has to overtake us because we are in christ jesus And so what you have to be careful of is letting your deceit manifest itself by picking and choosing what moral things you want to obey and what pet sins you want to keep. If that is you, you're being deceived. And Redeemer, if you know people being deceived... Entrenched in these lifestyles, you pray, pray hard. You go and you proclaim to them the goodness of God in Christ. Which moves us to our final point. Craig Blomberg says about this text, by using nouns that become labels for individuals only after persistent sin in a particular area, Paul makes plain that temporary lapses do not cause an individual to forfeit their inheritance prior says Paul is not talking about isolated acts of unrighteousness but about a whole way of life pursued persistently by those who thus indicate that they would be aliens in the kingdom of truth and light. Paul Gardner says that this second list in chapter 6 must be informed by the first list and in the first list in chapter 5 Paul wrote, I wrote to you not to associate with a brother if he is a sexually immoral person. The presence of and the way the offenses are described indicate that Paul has in mind that behavior which is habitual and ongoing about the person who continues in that lifestyle. You catch that? So what's the good news of the gospel? Paul isn't just saying we can be deceived. He's not just showing us our deceit through our incongruent lifestyles. He actually reminds us that God obliterates satanic deception and he delivers his people. He obliterates it. You got to see that what God is doing through this letter is cutting right through the veil, the veil which makes us blind to the, the, what we're doing, the veil that makes it hard for us to be break, to broke, break free. And what God is doing is breaking right through it to obliterate it and to deliver you. Now, how was God doing it? He's doing it in a few ways. First, these words, I know beloved, they're written by Paul to the church in Corinth. But Paul was sent to Corinth by God. It was Jesus who appeared to Paul in a vision and says, keep on preaching the kingdom of God. I have many here who will bow the knee. That Paul is only doing what Jesus would have him do. And I stand before you this morning as a herald of King Jesus. Lift your head up. If you are struggling and if you are being deceived, hear my words but know that the ultimate sender of the words is not the man you see, it's your God in heaven who is coming to you, my beloved child, wake up, wake up, you're being deceived. Second, God obliterates satanic deception by reminding him who they were until God intervened and broke those chains. Notice that Paul says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. And then he says, and such were some of you. You catch that? This is who you were. It's not who you are anymore. It's who you were in the past tense. Those behaviors go along with your former life because God has done something. You are no longer that. And this is an encouragement when you look at this list. We often talk about God saving people from every nation and tribe and tongue and language that there's gonna be a beautiful diversity of culture and language around the throne, you want to know what other kind of diversity we're gonna see around the throne? People who have been called out of sexual immorality into his marvelous light. People who worship money and stuff, who've been called out of darkness into his light. Brothers and sisters who struggle with homosexuality Called into his marvelous light The swindlers called into his marvelous light. The greedy, the drunkards called into his marvelous light. That that is the beauty of the gospel. J.F. Packer says the gospel says the traitor is forgiven and brought to a supper and given a family name. And it was all because God did it. And then Paul talks about, well, what did God do? What happened to make you new and not who you were in the past? What happened? Notice what Paul says. And you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Y'all remember I told you that 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 word that Paul uses in verse 9 do not be deceived that's passive which means someone is acting outside of them to deceive them you you got that guess what these three verbs are also passive you were washed someone outside of you washed you clean you were sanctified someone outside of you made you holy and set you apart you were justified you didn't justify yourself someone outside of you came in and made you righteous and counted you righteous you didn't do it in other words I think what Paul is saying is this there is an unholy trinity out there at work against us and it's our flesh and it's the world and it's the devil but guess what that unholy trinity has no match on the real trinity and notice what paul says that this was done in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god in other words paul is saying you are not a rag doll just getting pulled over here by satan i'm pulling you over here And it's me and my son and my spirit. And we're going to pull you and wash you and make you holy and justify you by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This is what Paul is saying. God is not going to let you stay over there. It's impossible for him to do it, but he does more. He points them to the future. Notice that Paul says the unrighteous will not inherit future, the kingdom of God. Look at the end of verse 10, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now what Paul is saying in the past, you were washed and in the present, your life don't look like it. But I'm going to remind you what God did and who you are. And then I want you to look in the future. There's a kingdom coming, y'all. Where you're not going to struggle no more. There's a kingdom coming, y'all. Where Satan will be banished. There's a kingdom coming, y'all. For you will be made new. There's a kingdom coming, y'all, where you will reign with Jesus forever. There's a kingdom coming, y'all, where every day will be better than the day before. There's a kingdom coming, y'all, where you will see the one who loves you and gave his life for you. And what Paul is actually saying, take a look at what you're choosing down here in the moment. It does not compare with the glories that are coming. You can wait and you can fight. That's why he gives you his spirit, which is a spirit of truth. It's love and joy and peace patience long-suffering and self-control in other words you are not a prisoner to the chains of Satan anymore you are new and you are free and it's all to the glory of God May we not be deceived. May we bow the knee to Jesus. May we walk in the newness of life. May we who were washed and made holy and counted righteous live righteously. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you for the way that you obliterate the ways that we are deceived. And you do this in your gospel. You do it by your word and your spirit. You are such a good king. Father, make us not like Esau, who traded his birthright for some soup. Lord, so often we trade the glories of the future for fleeting things. Keep our eyes on the inheritance that is awaiting us. Keep our eyes on what you've done for us in the past. And may the past and the future shape our present obedience, our present worship. Do these things, Lord, for the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.